It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. Uh, this this episode, we're not, I'm not talking about books, maybe Rebecca is, but we're talking about stuff that has helped us, helped us, things we have consumed during this situation of COVID-19. I guess by the nature of making it to the list that we agree, that we sort of wanted to talk about individually, we think they have been good for us in getting through this in a ver- variety of ways. Um, I'm sure we all have. Uh, our own list of things that we've been finding finding especially helpful, useful, um, or otherwise enjoyable. These pockets of joy, uh, of contentment, of interest, in a time which is kind of numbing and terrifying at the same time. Where can we find a little spark? That's what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me put it right out there at the beginning. If you've got stuff out there, listener, that have really it's been something that's been a uh, salve for you podcast at bookriot.com. I'd love to hear about them and maybe we'll share some of them that's cool with you. Let me know in the email. But uh, I'm curious to see what people are turning to in these difficult times. I guess before we get started, are you finding it's more of what you normally would turn to, Rebecca? Are there different kinds of things? Like how has the how has the DNA recombined under mm. this particular stressor of, of your consumption of whatever it is that you like to do? I feel like I am just like the most concentrated version yeah, of myself and my like my habits and the things that I'm drawn to spend my time doing mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's been more of like a shedding of other like extra stuff or things that were keeping me busy, but that can't keep me busy now because I can't go do them mm-hmm. and like... I have either I've filled that time either with trying to like sit down more or kind of going deeper into the stuff that I liked before. So I don't think I've I have not I don't think consumed or enjoyed anything during COVID that I didn't Mm. previously know I liked or that afterwards I'll be like, oh, I don't need that anymore. Um but it's been everything. I, it's pretty predictable, I think. Actually, this stuff um, that I've that I've been into, there hasn't been anything new that like crossed my path that I was like, I should try that thing, and then like fell sort of newly in love with it. So what it's like you? a Shinsky reduction. You've boiled off some of the stuff. Yeah, the, what's there uh-huh. is just you know a, a stronger, more concentrated uh, flavor. I think so. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't think so either. Um, Though maybe with one exception, but I'll get to that in a moment. We're just going to take turns. We don't know what the other one's going to talk about. Um, so, Rebecca, where do you... I think we have one big shared one. Do you want to start there or do you want to end yeah, with let's, it? Do you want to start with our shared thing we've already talked let's about? Let's start with the shared one because I know we're both excited to do that. Yeah, and, and like a lot of people out there, maybe many of you listening, um, The Last Dance, the 10-part ESPN and Netflix joint production about... Nominally about the final season that Michael Jordan played with the Chicago Bulls that culminated in their 
there's a lot of spoilers here for sport. I don't oh think yeah, spoil sports. That's an interesting. I don't think you can edge. Um, it's I guess at some point it's just history, right? But anyway, if you want to go into it a little colder uh, and you want to get into it at all, fast forward whatever you're going to do. Um, but it culminates in the the sixth of the six championships that Jordan and the Chicago Bulls won between 1991 and 1998. There was some footage, apparently Adam Silver, who's now the commissioner of the NBA, but back then was just some sort of NBA executive, went to the Bulls and Jordan principally and said, can we record you? Because everyone knew, and that's part of the drama of it, mm-hmm. that this was the, 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 last, the last dance, literally, is what Phil Jackson called it, um, that reasons that are both opaque and fascinating, um, that they weren't going to continue no matter what happened. Uh, so he said, okay, this is an unusual situation. We know that this is a legendary figure, a legendary team, a legendary coach. Maybe we can get some behind-the-scenes footage. They did. And it's been sitting on a shelf since 1998. Um, and I've read a little bit about why now, and it's a little unclear that they did need Jordan. You're not going to have a documentary unless Jordan sits for interviews. And Jordan was only going to sit for interviews if he had some say in it that he wanted to do it, blah, 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 so on and so forth. But whatever reason, now is the time. And it's this 10-part documentary. The last two episodes came out Sunday night, so they're all available now. And it's riveting stuff from a human level, from a sports level, from, from a cultural level. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Well, I mean, for me, especially... I was 13 in 1991 and just beginning serious, relatively serious sports fandom, 13 to 20 is Jordan's run with the Bulls. There's with an interregnum in between where he played baseball. He was everything. He was the pinnacle. He was the archetype of a sports figure, a master of his domain in many different ways. And will always, I think for me, just because of how old I, I was at the time, be the paragon for a winner and and all the good and bad that comes along with that frankly mm-hmm. i understand even at, i understood even the time that jordan was not i don't know kind of the humble you know leader kind of the dick winners and band of brothers kind of guy right like you know he got results but he also was someone you 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 kind of saw as a father figure that's not who michael jordan was and i even understood mm-hmm. it at the time um and all the complexities that come with the kind of competitive drive that jordan had and so for me, it's it's kind of like reading about George Washington. Like it, it has a fascination that is beyond the particulars of the executioner's story. It's just inherently interesting. Um, so before we get into the specifics of why we think it's it's good beyond that, what what do you what's your top level on the last dance? Yeah, you know, I come to sports in general as a person who's fascinated by sort of where sports sit in our broader culture and what they do for us in 
culture, like why people like sports, why we care about them. Um, I was, I'm a couple years younger than you. I was ambiently like aware, obviously, of who Michael Jordan was and that he was a big deal Mm. um, in the, you know, mid to late 90s. But that's about as far as it went. You know, like I knew he was the best basketball player in the world. I knew that people who cared about basketball were crazy about him, but I wasn't watching games. I didn't know the specifics. You know, like I knew of Dennis Rodman because of the pop culture tie-ins and that he was dating Carmen Electra when she was on MTV. Like I sort of was aware of the um, the cultural significance of these figures. And this was fascinating to me to watch both because like, I don't know any of these games mm-hmm. that they showed footage from or any of the big history. So watching it unspool and seeing the like the nitty gritty stuff of like how you put a team together and the stuff of the the individual players and getting a new lens on Michael Jordan and really like what goes into a person sort of being this character and Mm -hmm. this figure um, in culture was really like that. That was really, really interesting to me and seeing the other people around him was really interesting, but it was also just a like very grounding reminder of like, we don't have this opportunity anymore really to have like no. a, a a person who's that famous to that many people like that kind of monoculture that we still had before the internet where like there could be a person like this that everybody knew who they were mm-hmm. um that he you know couldn't like walk down the street without being chased we have many famous people now but our relation that our relationship to them is so different because there's social media and we can see them on the internet all the time and it's not like this rare thing if you become aware of a celebrity yeah. I was just so, so interested in like the human drama mm-hmm. of sports, I think is really um, what I'm drawn to. And I I loved this. There was so much that I didn't know. Um, and there were there were things that like were spoilers or that not spoilers, but like I wasn't aware of the history. So there was content here that was surprising to me. Yeah. And that Bob was like, you didn't know this. I was like, of course I, don't know. <laughs> of course I didn't know this. But like it made it great to watch because I had no idea what they were driving towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the thing that we were um, share had a shared excitement and interest and fascination with was the very like elementary and almost like too clear for even an introductory psychology textbook motivations for some of the main characters, these main (laughs) figures. You know, Dennis Rodman was essentially rejected by his family at a very young age, and so you can see the antics he goes through as a very clear reaction to sort of pre-rejecting himself from other from culture. You know, I, I, you mm-hmm. can't reject me. I reject you. Oh, if you're going to reject me, it's because I do all this weird stuff, right? Scottie Pippen comes from a family, a huge, very, very poor family in which two of the, his members of the family, including his father, were in wheelchairs. And his story then and through the rest of this story is one of sacrifice, an uneasy sacrifice that he... Mm-hmm is both willing and unhappy to have to do. And then Jordan, you know, it's it's pretty clear. He came from a large family. They were all very competitive. And to get his father's attention, he had to be the best. And it's it's not any more complicated than that, but it doesn't make it any less compelling. Phil Jackson comes from this evangelical, very insular family that has sort of one one understanding of how the world is put together. And he becomes this sort of counterculture figure, Zen Buddhist monk who's also interested in Native American philosophies and sensibilities, who has this very unusual ability to hold 
in his his, heart, his coaching heart these desperate the disparate characters and, and make it work because of the sort of generosity of spirit he seems to have, which is fascinating. I know you found him the most yeah. the, the, the biggest oh, yes. revelation of the whole show. So say I speak on it a little a- bit. I would watch a 10-episode documentary about Phil Jackson. I want to hear Phil Jackson talk about doing drugs in the 70s. I want to hear him talk about meditation, how he you know, learned these practices, and then incorporated them into the team in a way that people bought into, which is like, I think that's what's really fascinating to me is this relationship that he has with all of these players where they trust him and like, like, you know, yoga and mindfulness, real buzzwords right now. And we know that there are like NFL teams that do yoga, you know, as part of their trainings. But in like the late 90s, people were not all talking about like using your breath to center yourself Mm -hmm. and meditation and tapping into like indigenous practices and Eastern religious practices or you know spirituality in that way and phil jackson takes these things that were not part of pop culture at the time and were certainly not being regularly introduced to uh, you know famous athletes but also specifically to like african-american communities and he must have presented it in a compelling way because they like they do the thing Mm. they buy in and i think it's the final episode of the last dance somebody's talking about how the thing that makes michael jordan really singular is the ability to be fully present and when you take that combined with the practices that phil jackson was bringing in like that's a really interesting combination because those things are about learning to be fully present Mm. but like in the I, I was just, I was fascinated. And that he seems to understand. So like in the sort of yoga world, we use the phrase holding space. Mm-hmm. Like how do you hold space for the people that are in your class or in your life and just like allow them to do the thing that they need to do. And I was thinking about that so much with Phil Jackson, especially talking about how he dealt with Dennis Rodman. Yeah. You know, like one way to deal with a character like that is to try to just like punish them and force them into like you're going to follow the same rules as everybody else. Drill sergeant. But, you know, a drill sergeant, right? That kind of right. You don't right. Like stereotype. nobody gets to be special. Here are the rules. Everybody has to follow them. Get in line or get gone. And that Phil Jackson saw something and understood something about Dennis Rodman that I don't think Rodman even articulated for himself at the time, but he talks about it now on screen in a way where you can see he understands it, that it was like, well, he's, that's not going to work. So like the thing that I need to do to get the best performance out of this person is let him be himself and go do these things. So even though like, it's not cool that he disappears in Vegas for 72 hours, we're not okay with it. That's part of the deal. We're also yes, not going to kick right. him off the team. Like that, if you want the Rodman who shows up and wins, you have to accept this version. And I think that's the magic part. The like, okay, take you as you are. Mm-hmm. And it seems that Phil Jackson has an ability to look at his players and see like, what is the thing that you need? Is it support? Is it acceptance? Is it to be pushed? Um, or is it to like, you know, be unlocked in some way mm. where this thing that you thought you had to do to rebel, you don't have to do anymore. Right. You can just be on the team. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes people think what someone needs to achieve is discipline, which is really the, not really code, but it's another way of saying to put boundaries on, right? To put boundaries and constraints mm-hmm. around that person's behavior. And Phil, at least to some degree, says, well, what if the way to unlock this person's potential is to redraw the boundaries? Not to have right. no boundaries, necessarily, but to, to, to make a, a shape, a Dennis Rodman shape hole in our team that he can use all of himself to fill. And it may not have the, the, the regular 
shape of sort of a standard model of, of a teammate or a player or even a human being. But he has a thing that if we even harness, even the words we have for it are wrong, because I almost said harness, and that's not even right. Um, mm-hmm. If we can put together the playground in a way that maximizes what he's able to do, well, maybe you don't ask him to run wind sprints, but he's going to give you a thing that he can do. And he does that, I think, for Jordan and for Pippen and some of the other players as well. Mm-hmm. And then here's the thing, and I don't know, we haven't talked about this. He, Phil Jackson does this again with the Lakers and, and Shaq and Kobe, yeah. who hated each other. So, <laughs> um, so I'd watch, I would watch that as well because they hated each other and it fell apart. Bec- but they won three championships um, with even more of a, um, butting aheads than we really see here um so that part of the human part is really fascinating as well it is i think i was telling you when we were just talking yesterday that like i would love to like listen to some therapists or social Mm -hmm. workers like watch this and comment on it because the the guys from the team especially now like in the interviews from present day when they're reflecting on things and they're talking about their lives and they're talking about what shaped them going into those careers when they were in their you know early 20s when they started so many of the things that they talk about are trauma yes. and they don't give it that name but the experiences are mm-hmm. trauma and like and like many many humans experience something that you know shapes us in the, a difficult thing that shapes us in some way and the way that they had responded to those things and like the narratives that they bring into being on the team. I think the thing that I was fascinated watching Phil Jackson do is it seems like he can zero in on like what the person's like sort of broken narrative is and then figure out how to fix it. So like the Rodman example, I just find most fascinating because I think you're right that he was used to being rejected. So the move became like, let me either, you know, push myself out before Mm -hmm. you can, or I'll give you some good reasons to reject me. And Jackson is just like, okay, well, I see you. And guess what? Uh Like, also, you're not rejected now. Like, I see you, you're doing your shenanigans. Okay. Like, he's sort of unruffled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, fine, do them. We still love you. Get like, just get on the court and do your job. You know, really interesting. Um, It's really powerful. Uh, so it's got sports, it's got humanness, um, it's got the thing we like, which isn't necessarily getting the band back together, but both of us like stories of teams in various mm-hmm. ways and organizations and groups um, that have a shared purpose or goal and the sports are an unusual one. And there's the second, well, they're not secondary, but from our discussion here, like Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf and the economics of this and the internal power struggles, like... Jerry Krause has, I mean, we talk about textbook, even cliche psychological condition. He's got a Napoleon complex, right? Like mm-hmm. he's a short guy who Jordan picks on res- relentlessly, who Phil Jackson literally towers over physically <laughs> and, in the, in the, and in the public's mind. And he basically has tired of Phil and says, even if the Bulls go 82-0 and 0 this year, Phil Jackson is not coming back. Which is a bonkers thing to say. Like I, st- it truly. It's one, of the, it's one of the great things that doesn't actually get enough interrogation. Well, Kraus has died, so it's we, a flex. It, it's 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 a very. And he says, you know, organizations win championships, and sort of seems to want to underplay the players and coaches. Um, and again, whatever. And I can I could understand being the general manager of a team like this, and he worked hard, and he did. He brought in Phil Jackson. To, to, he saw he saw something in Phil. Said this this guy's going to lock the team, and he was right. He drafted Scottie Pippen. He drafted Michael Jordan. So mm-hmm. he should get a lot of credit, and probably he didn't get as much as he should. But that difference between what he thought he deserved and what he actually got in terms of credit was enough to to sabotage the whole thing. 
yeah. um, which is also fascinating as well. It's very well produced. The other one of the things I found striking about it was the score was mm, is all yes, early hip hop and rap from like the early uh-huh. to, to mid nineties all the way through. And there's a great sequence where they do uh, the Beastie Boys, the Maestro, over a, a montage of Dennis Rodman doing Dennis Rodman things. Sort of an acknowledgement <laughs> that in his particular realm, he's as good as anyone's ever been at anything. And the thing he does is rebound. He might be yeah. better at rebounding than any person in the history of sports has been at anything. Just for a pound for pound, he's six eight and got you know the defensive category. The, he's an unbelievable defender, but he studied rebounds and his teammate shots in a way where he know that their tendencies to miss, and he could tell by the spin of the ball coming out of their hand. He played percentages and would put himself self in spots like he he he's kind of a not kind of he's a genius of a mm-hmm. very boring and very valuable sports thing, and I really love that they gave him. This you had to know what the maestro is about. You know, it's it's the beastie, early Beastie Boys. They're sort of bragging, but they're sort of humble and sort of goofy, which is Rodman to a T. It's just I, I was thrilled. I, very few times am I thrilled by a music cue, but I was <laughs> thrilled by that music cue. I love that song. I love the Beastie Boys, and I've got the Apple TV Plus Beastie Boys documentary that I'm waiting to watch here. I'm very excited for that as well. But anyway, one example of just real, really astute and subtle combination of sports and music that was really happening this time as well like it was contemporaneous where hip-hop culture Mm -hmm. and basketball and blackness and sports became the dominant story kind of that 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 combination of blackness sports and hip-hop became inextricably linked and became a world cultural force and you see that happening here in the form of the dream team jordan nikes and mcdonald's and being the most famous person in the world um to some degree uh Which is also fascinating, and Jordan's relationship to his own race and his own politics is, you know, kind of a sphinx-like relationship to to the racial politics of the day, which also makes it fascinating. Anyway, we've done enough on the last dance. Any last words on that before we get on to other things? We will not spend twenty minutes on each of these things. Yeah, I got really interested in, and I will probably end up reading one of the Phil Jackson mm-hmm. books at this point. Um, the sort of revelation that he has early in working with the full team that the way they're going to win the championships is not just to have Michael Jordan yes. be Michael Jordan, but to bring everyone else up to the, like the highest possible level that they can perform at. And I think that that should be obvious yeah. that like the thing that you want for having a strong team is to have a strong team and to drive all the individual players. But especially it seems like, you know, at least the narrative in sports right now is about building teams around Mm. specific guys um, in these cases or like, you know, I absorb a lot of ESPN just kind of ambiently (laughs) because of who who I live with Um, that, you know, you hear about like the big players and who they're, who's getting drafted onto the team to support these big players and the way that it's talked about in the last dance and the way that I think, you know, that they intentionally must've edited by interviewing everybody and putting all these perspectives together was about like everybody had to get, better. And Michael Jordan certainly drove that. But it was Phil Jackson being like, we're not just always going to give the ball to Michael Jordan and telling Michael Jordan, like, you got to get used to the idea Mm -hmm. that we're not just this is not just about us giving you the ball so that you can always score, but everybody is going to be pushed and everybody's going to get better. And that like is a genius management technique Mm -hmm. (laughs) of drawing the team together to sharpen each other, but also does I think it's smart. It maximizes your chances of whoever ends up with the ball being able to do the thing that needs to be done. Um, and I, I loved seeing a, a lantern 
hung on that. It's a really interesting thing just as someone who thinks about like how you manage people. Yeah, I mean, especially when they get to the later episodes in the third set of championships where the narrative starts to coalesce and the documentary does this, and I'm not sure if it's more or less accurate than the earlier days of Jordan, where he is really hard to be around. Like he punches Steve Kerr in the face and you know he does all this stuff that makes him look like a real jerk. But the thing that unlocked the Bulls' greatness is Jackson bringing in this thing called the triangle offense where it's more about sharing the ball and creating these little triangles of possibility. But then Jordan had to, and, and I think this is something people forget, had to give up a lot. His, his, his scoring averages went down, mm-hmm. um, which is not easy for the greatest player ever to play professional sports. To, it's, it's a hard sell, and credit to Jackson for selling it, but you have to give Jordan credit, I think, for 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 recognizing to be to win i have to share which is not mm-hmm. easy to do um it's yeah, very it's very, very very hard thing to do yeah it's a very kind of buddhist yeah. idea of like getting you know setting the ego aside in order to ascend mm-hmm. um and that they talk about these sort of really grounded expressions of that but especially the full i think we do i need a moment for steve kerr oh yeah like what an arc Mm -hmm. there to go from like getting punched in the face by michael jordan to you know getting the ball in one of the critical moments of one of the critical series yes yes (laughs) and scoring the final basket and then goes on to coach the next greatest team ever the the Mm -hmm. the golden state warriors with kevin duran and steph curry and draymond green and clay thompson at the four which very much had to do even more of what the bulls did about sharing and sacrifice and like you know sublimating the ego um, to be fantastic. So anyway, if you can't tell, we both really like The Last Dance and we think you should check it out. Uh, let's do a sponsor <laughs> and we'll come back and do some other stuff. All right, so we did that. Now it's your turn to do a uh, particular Rebecca pick. I got a hammock, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know if you have some <laughs> multi-level marketing thing going on with REI, but the number of links you're, dra- you're dropping in Slack to REI products, especially hammocks, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you had a little like piece of the action here. Look, REI, to my knowledge, does not have an affiliate program, yeah. but if you do, please <laughs> get at me. <laughs> I just love REI. I think it's a great company. Um, I like being outside. Yeah. And one of the things that became apparent to me sort of early in the stay home order was like, I'm going to need to spend a lot Mm. of time outside. And like, you know, Shenandoah National Park is one of my go to's, but the parks are closed. Mm. Our state parks are open, but popular trails are like really covered in people. So how am I going to just be outside and relax? And um, a couple of our coworkers have had hammocks. Previously, Amanda has a dedicated relationship with her hammock. And I was like, it's time. It is time to get a hammock. And it just happened to be that REI was having a sale. And um, I'm, I found like ratings of best hammocks on the internet. Mm. <laughs> and I ordered myself a hammock that was easy to um, to hang up. It has little straps that tie around opposing trees. And then you just clip your hammock in. And I am spending a lot of time in a hammock and like this is you know ridiculously symbolic but like getting to feel a little weightless in a mm. time like this is real nice mm. and getting to feel it when like the weather is warm and there's a breeze and there are birds flying overhead is even better um so uh, that is one of the things that i am loving right now is my hammock and it is the um the brand is eno it's eno 
those initials stand for something that I can't remember, you can find them at REI. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show yeah, notes sure. to my favorite. It'll be REI.com slash Shinsky. Weird. It's going to be weird that that's the URL. Huh. Strange. Uh, that does sound nice. Um, I'm it's also lovely. going to lean into my Jeffness here, like you leaned into your Beckiness, mm-hmm. and recommend. I'm not gonna. I'm not recommending these. This is what I like. Yeah, um, we're just talking. I've been roasting a lot of coffee using the mm-hmm. Fresh Roast SR750, which is my my beloved roaster. I like doing it. It gives me some sense of control. I look forward to my freshly brewed coffee. Um, we've we've bagged up some and taken it to Michelle's coworkers and taken it to my friends. Our friends and family is kind of an excuse to drop in. I just really like it. It's 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 a it's a love language to for me to ro- roast coffee for Michelle and I and to make our coffee in my fussy way every morning. It's I look forward to it getting out of bed. Um Michelle even proclaims that she likes it better than going out for fancy coffee which warms the the very Aww, the very the very baseline cockles of my very very <laughs> needy heart. Um to hear that um my brother and I took a coffee roasting course. Uh, it's basically a class. And let me tell you something about roasting coffee. It ain't hard, and you can save yourself a lot of money. I mean, it's like half as much to buy the raw beans and roast them yourself as to buy the fussy coffee beans. And again, it's expensive and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's just been fun, and I, I know my local supplier, um, and I, I get 10 pounds at a go, and I you know I found the, 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 the I like single origin from Central America. Uh, Honduras shouts to you for your coffee uh, forever. <laughs> Um, and like the roaster is like 150 bucks. And if you roast 10 pounds or 20 pounds, it's paid for itself. Uh, so I really like that. It's, I'm not a fussy person. I think, you know, Rebecca knows this, but I, I, I think I have this theory that you can be a, well, I'm not going to say the word on air. You can be, you can be a fussy person about like two or three things. Like you can pick mm-hmm. your spots and be fussy and everyone's cool with that. The problem is if you're a fussy person, that fussiness applies to everything in your life and you, you know that becomes an organizing principle of how you interact with the world. And I'm fussy about coffee and I'm fine with that. Um, you can travel also shouts to the AeroPress, shouts to my tea kettle, shouts to my coffee <laughs> grinder, the, the whole, the whole team, the whole, the whole, the whole, my whole coffee roasting team shouts to you all. Um, I look forward to it and it's a daily thing. And I think that I get control over it. Rebecca is part of it. Mm-hmm, you know, that mm-hmm. I think this is my little, Part of the and world. And a ritual feels yes. good. I like the ritual in the morning. Um, it's a way of every day being the same, but there's a part of that sameness that I like, and that's the cup of coffee yep. that I welcome to. Um, that's, yeah. That will be at Amazon.com slash O'Neill, <laughs> the, the O'Neill's Coffee Collection. There, Look, Book Riot has an Amazon storefront. That's right. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's right. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to strike that off my list with, with a tear in, in my eye and enjoy in my heart. I'm done talking about coffee. Yeah. Um, I think probably for the same reasons or for similar reasons that you love your coffee ritual and are leaning in, I've been baking a ton. I need to ask you about, that's um, why I told you I was going to ask, I need to ask you what you're cooking. So go ahead and do your spiel and I've okay. got some follow-ups. Yeah. So I always cook a lot. Um, I think just more of it is making its way to Instagram during the quarantine Mm -hmm. because I'm bored and it's fun to be like, here's the pretty thing. You got to do something in that hammock. You might as well put stuff on Instagram, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, So yeah, I've I've been cooking. I just, I've always cooked a lot. Um, 
so cooking has been fun and I like to spend my Sundays like cooking elaborate things. I just, I just like to be in the kitchen um, for like most of a Sunday afternoon with music on. Like this is my ritual, like turn music on, be in the kitchen, make something complicated. Maybe there's a beer or like a whiskey lemonade and I'm just, you know, like the windows are open and the sun is shining and the music is loud and I'm in my element. Um, baking had not been quite as much of a thing for me until the last couple of years. Like, um, there's a sort of, I think it's a false dichotomy, but often kitchen people are like, I'm a cook, but not a baker. Or, I'm a baker, but not a cook. And like baking has to be precise and cooking. You can be a little bit more of a chaos Muppet and do some mm-hmm. improvisation. Right. Um, more salt. But I'd spent, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> right. Taste it as you go, yeah. which I love that kind of cooking. Um, but over the summer, I was like, you know, it's time to get over this idea that I can't also bake. And so I spent the summer working on buttermilk biscuits and pie crust. And I got really good at those and discovered I really like the sort of meditativeness of what goes into like baking and doing those things. So I have used my quarantine time to become best friends with the King Arthur Flower website, um, being like, what could I bake? I feel like doing some kind of cake today or um, the New York Times cooking Uh, section does a great weekly email of like, here's what to cook this week. And sometimes they'll have a cake in there or something. And I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to try that. Um, And it's fun. I just like the experiment of like, I can, I've been cooking a long time. I can follow directions. I can weigh out, you know, 240 grams of flour and do the Mm. thing. Um, So I have loved the process of baking more and it's just delightful like it's just nice to have something around that's sweet and it tastes good and you know like who doesn't want brownies made from scratch with rainbow sprinkles on them but it has also led to sort of the evening version of what you were talking about with your morning fussiness with your ritual with the coffee with michelle where once i've baked a cake then in the evenings like we've had dinner and everybody is settling down and around nine um you know bob and i will have been watching tv and our friend who's staying with us i'll summon everyone with like it's family cake time (laughs) and then everyone has a slice of cake and a little whiskey and we stand in the kitchen and just sort of have a nice moment it's just a nice thing it's hard to feel bad for yourself when you're eating a piece of cake um that is very nice to hear and i would like nightly cake as well uh (laughs) i guess the one and maybe this is more of uh i'm seeing the internet do it and i know you're an allison roman fan i need it i need a 60 mm. second theory of the roman hegemony what is it about like is there something special there like what wh- what is it about the allison roman you know you know i, I don't know the, the allison <laughs> the, roman what, ethos. what makes it so compelling yeah, what makes it the thing where <laughs> the kind of people that work with us and around us and that the people we follow on Twitter and Instagram and things like that are Allison romance st- are just acolytes of this, of mm-hmm. this whatever. Yeah. I've cooked my way through both. Of I know. I know. So yeah, I think I can really speak yes, to this. I was hoping the, you could. <laughs> the subject or the sub, the like a uh, subhead on, I think it's dining in is like highly cookable recipes. Okay. And I think that that is core to it. that, Everything tastes good and there are interesting flavors. Um, There are not like super long, complicated lists of ingredients and you don't need super fancy techniques, Mm. but you end up with food that is delicious and in many cases looks pretty. Mm. 
Um, and there's just something to that. I think it feels good to cook something that you look at it and you're like, that's just nice, mm -hmm. you know, or like, I want to put this on Instagram. I also think like she's uh, not unaware that what she's doing is creating things that photograph yeah, well. Yeah, I wondered. In many, uh. Yeah, in many cases. And I've read some interviews with her where she like basically admits like, you know, you're thinking about these things if you're trying to be well known sure. as a Oh, yeah. As a, Don't hate. As a congratulate. I'm not right trying now. to besmirch yeah. that. I think that's yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like book I think cover very, design now these days. They yeah, I think it's very canny. Um, the newer cookbook, Nothing Fancy, is around like the concept around it is for entertaining. And I think the subheading there is something like don't entertain, just have people over. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to be like, you can make nice meals that also don't have to be super fussy. Mm. Um, and those recipes I think are even, um, they're a little bit simpler from the ones that I've cooked um, than the ones in dining in just in general. Um, but they're designed to like be like, you know, here is the centerpiece of a meal that you're making. And then here's this, like from the salad section of the book, here's the salad that you should pair mm. with it. So you can sort of like pile things up together. I think that that's what, I think that's the primary draw is there. It's really good food. It's not like, um, when Rachel Ray was famous, like was having her moment in the early 2000s. And it was like, here's stuff you can make in 20 minutes. Like that's fine. And it's easy. And most of it looks like you made it in 20 mm. minutes and the Alice and Roman magic and like folks who cook in that way is like it probably took 30 or 45 minutes but it looks like maybe it could have taken you a lot longer I see. okay <laughs> or it or it tastes like it could have taken a lot longer so kind of an 80 20 situation you know you get 20 20 yeah. percent of the effort you get 80 percent of the uh mm -hmm. the, the 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 razzmatazz um, that comes yes. out a bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I need to acknowledge that I know that um, Alison Roman got herself into hot water on the internet recently, so you don't need to send us emails. Oh, about... yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not endorsing the Alison Roman whatever she said. I just am curious. I about... don't need to endorse her as yeah, a person, yeah. but her cookbooks are very good. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Am I up next? Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Um, I'm not fussy about margaritas. I just like to make them. Oh man, your margarita recipe is so good. Um, and I like to play around with it a little bit. It's it's a test bed for me a little bit. And um, one mm -hmm. thing that that's happened of late is Michelle has a lot of coworkers in Portland, and she manages a lot of them. And you know, some of them are younger, and they live alone, and you know, it's hard these days. So she'll have them over for a social distance happy hour where they we they sit six feet apart from each other in the backyard. And I'll make them margaritas and they can sit and talk and sort of have office hours like this. So, but, so I've been doing that and that's been fun and that's been something for me. My recommendation for your, my tequila is El Himador. doesn't matter. This is a new discovery for me that I tried. Um, it's called Crema de Mezcal. And what it mm. is, it's a mezcal. So it's got, it's that smokiness that you expect from mezcal, but it has agave, roasted agave syrup built into it. So Yum. if you know the classic margarita, it's basically lime juice, tequila, triple second, a simple syrup, a sugar of some kind that goes in with it as well. Here, since it has the agave in it already and it has the smokiness, you don't really need the orange flavor from the triple sec. You do crema de mezcal and lime juice and rocks, you're done, baby. Ooh. All in one. You don't have to make your simple syrup. You don't have to get your other thing. Um, and if you like a smoke, if you like the smokiness of mezcal, this is pretty light on the smoke side. I've had very, very heavily smoked mezcal, which I, I like barbecue, but I don't like to drink it. Is my theory of mezcal? Um, <laughs> this is really great, and you can get it in most liquor stores. It's Single Village and Waka. Um, I think it's it was kind of a fun revelation for, for me to do. So if you can keep it, it's kind of an all in one, ready to go. It feels 
special and fancy. You know, it's not just like a margarita mix you can buy. Though I have done <clears throat> some taste testing of ready-made margarita mm. mixes from Trader Joe's and other places. And I, 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 I'm loath to say that some of them are just as good as making it fresh. And I'm not going to say which ones because that, <laughs> that ruins the magic. But look, whatever. This one, and then if you want to have people over, you can talk about it or what it is. And it's a fancy bottle. and they don't, It's kind of a f- conversation piece all in itself. So that's Crema de Mezcal from San Luis del Rio. Uh, you know, drink responsibly, uh, so on and so forth. So that, that's been a fun new one for me as well. Um. I'm drinking just as much bourbon as I, I was figured, before, yeah. <laughs> but I have not discovered anything yep. uh, special about it. Uh, I got a pair of apps okay. that I have been loving. Um, I have to give shouts to Amanda for the first one. It's the Merlin Bird ID app. Oh. Um, yeah, Amanda and I got our hammocks together <laughs> recently. We hung them six feet apart in my mm-hmm. backyard and we looked at some birds and I was like, I wonder what kind of woodpecker that is. And she said, well, let's put it on the app. And I was like, of course there's yes. an app for this. And also why don't I already have one? Uh, so the Merlin bird ID app is free. You can download different like packages based on um, which part of the country or the world you're in. And I love the way that it works because first it geolocates you. So it knows what where you are and narrows down what kind of birds could even be there mm-hmm. and then it pops up what a, a little scale with like six different nodes of how big was your bird and you identify like oh it's about the size of a sparrow all the way up to you know like it was an eagle uh, and you tell it what size and then you tell it the up to three primary colors mm-hmm. of your bird and then it generates all of the options with pictures mm-hmm. and you can be like oh that's a my friend here was a pileated woodpecker and you can listen to the calls so that like when you can't see the bird, but you can hear it, you can be like, Oh, that's the pileated woodpecker. There you go. Um, yeah. We hung up some bird feeders recently and I've all, I have discovered the tufted titmouse, which is like a little gray sparrow sized bird that looks like it has a mohawk. Mm. Um, the Carolina chickadee, a whole bunch of birds. Like it, and it makes me feel magical because after I look it up in the app, I can recognize them afterwards and like hear their calls and know who's hanging out around me and in the way that um we just did a show yesterday and i was talking about how to do nothing by jenny odell and she was talking about like feeling grounded in the place that you are there's something that just feels really good to me about being like i know who these birds are in my neighborhood Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's the eastern bluebird and that is what that one sounds like um it's it just it's feeling really nice um and i think this other app we might have talked about on a a recommendation show a year or two ago but it's called yes i was just gonna say yeah seek yeah I do. And it's a plant ID app that I've had forever, but just also recently got back into where it was like, I'm, now I want to know, since I'm knowing all the names of the birds, I want to know the names of all the trees mm-hmm. and the, the flowers. And I'm you know taking walks in my neighborhood and the parks nearby and just identifying everything. And it feels really nice to be like, oh, yeah, that's a you know southern red oak. And the one over there is a um, that's a black oak. And look at those pink lady flowers and you know just stuff that I've seen yeah. before and appreciated but not known the names of like being able to name it it just feels good we've been doing something similar because we do an afternoon walk with whoever's available in in my household and may here in oregon it's a a cornucopia of floral (sighs) experiences um and we now we know what the ornamental onion looks like and we know what the wisteria (laughs) looks like you know that's uh, azalea which is a kind of rhododendron and oh that's and it's been really nice to find interest embedded, Im- the imminence of interest um, that you can do 
if you're really kind of not able to 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 wander uh, literally and figuratively from where you are, it is pretty nice um, to say one one thing. Listeners knew. I think I talked about on the show at one point last year is I wanted to listen to a lot of new music last year, and I did. Had a great year. Mm-hmm. Found a lot of new stuff. Um, for whatever reason, that my COVID response, my my emotional immune response has been: I do not want to listen to any new music. Uh, I just want, you know, comfort music, except for one thing that I've listened to on repeat a million times, sort of my go-to, we're up in the morning, I can put it on and I enjoy it, but it's also not going to get in the way. Um, It's Rachel and Vinlay, it's a duo, um, and I don't know her first name, but the Rachel of Rachel and Vinlay is the lead singer for Lake Street Drive, Um, and it's a really fun kind of, I don't even know how to describe, kind of a modern soul band kind of a situation. But this is a, a uh, Vinlay um, is a guitar player, and this is a little CD of like new American songbook style um, oh, songs. Into this. So it sounds like old Cole Porter or Rogers and Hart, but it's new, and it has a little bit more of a modern sensibility, a little insouciant, um, and I just find it absolutely delightful. Some of it is the lyrics are really fun. Um, there's one about you know uh, basically. Being a member of the Mile High Club, let's let's do it in the plane, um, which is funny and it's really great. There's one about you know the, the the lot of duos, of course, where the woman sings the woman's part and the man sings the man's part in these classic, you know, um, now sort of calcified arrangements. But they play with it a little bit too, and it's just really great. And I've listened to it hundreds of times at this point because it's just on all the time. Uh, Recommended to my dad and my brothers. Um, yeah, Rachel and Vinlay. It's available on Spotify, as I guess everything is now. Um, but that's one where if you like American Songbook and you like that kind of small ensemble vocal jazz, you'll probably like this, I would suspect. All right. You're, well, you you know what your end of year Spotify things are going to be. No, I don't <laughs> like. wonder. I know exactly what it's going to be. It's what I'm playing right now. It's probably playing. It's probably just on now, and I don't even know it. I'm so used to it at this point. <laughs> That's kind of great, though. Um, Well, I've been listening to a lot fewer podcasts because I'm in the car a whole lot less going many fewer places. Um, But my, you know, soulmate, she doesn't know it, but my soulmate, Brene Brown, Mm. has a podcast that she was launching before all of this began. But this is a very good time in the world for there to be a Brene Brown podcast. It's called Unlocking Us. uh, And she has a different guest each week. Um, Many of them have been themed around stuff that's going on in the world right now. She had David Kessler, who's a grief expert on at the beginning of the pandemic. um, And he was talking about processing grief and the role of grief in a a moment like this. And that was really great to listen to. But she also recently had Alicia Keys on, you know, talking about her new memoir. Um, If you like Brene Brown and, you know, thinking about feelings and vulnerability and how we relate to each other, you will like the Brene Brown podcast. Um, It's just kind of a bonus Mm. that there's pandemic specific sort of like coping stuff. Um, It's making me feel pretty seen. Uh, And then a podcast that a friend recommended to me um, called Dying for Sex. That's a six episode, I think it was six episodes, one season short run from the Wondery Podcast Network, um, hosted by two women in their 40s, best friends. Um, It's a tearjerker because one of them was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer uh, and had been dying for years. Uh, but the way, one of the ways that she responded to facing her mortality was she got out of a marriage that was unhappy. And she, in order to like feel in control of her body and, you know, tap into some power, just had these like sexual escapades. Um, and she like, you know, 
she talks about them with her best friend on this show. And it's fascinating and so just like so, so deeply human because they're talking about their lives. They're talking about like Molly, the friend who is doing the all of who's getting all the action uh, is talking about like what was driving her to have these experiences, why it felt so important, what was interesting and what was scary and what was weird. And there are some really funny moments and some really sad and very touching moments. Um, her best friend who hosts the show like a, a couple times calls guys that she had oh been on dates with. And, yeah. And they talk about it. It's like, it's so good. I know that you're maybe like halfway cringing on the other side of this phone call. Maybe. <laughs> I'm under my desk. I'm in. St- I'm stop dropping rolling here. Rebecca. It's not okay. It's not super. It doesn't graphic. have to be for me. It doesn't have to be. That's fine. Yeah, it doesn't have to be for you. I'm just to you for finding something that I'm brings sharing you to, to the pe- for the people. Yeah, it's not super graphic. Um, I found it to be just. It was deeply human and really lovely mm-hmm. the way that these friends shared this thing. It, it's ultimately about how she's making meaning and understanding herself going through something really, really difficult. Um, and that I think that's the kind of thinking about life that we don't often mm-hmm. get to overhear other people do. Um, so for me, it was it's much it was much less about you know, and even the whole show like it's a that's a great sensational title, right? yes. dying for yes. sex. Like people are going to click on that. Um, but most of the show is not about the nature of the experiences that she's having so much as like this drive to feel very alive at a time that you're literally dying. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it was wonderful. It made me cry a lot. There was a lot to think about. Um, So if that is your cup of tea, um, I found it to just be really beautiful. Um, Okay. Well, I'm done putting an internet filter on dying for sex. So that, that never (laughs) comes across for me. Let me just finish writing that down. Uh, While we're on the podcast tip, I've recommended this to you before. I know you've listened to a couple one. Um, There's a few podcasts I listen to every week. And I, I found that one one great use case of a podcast, I think, and some of the podcasts that get the biggest listenerships are for things people are interested in but are not expert in. And for me, that's movies. I love movies. Mm. I've watched them forever. You've heard us talk about movies. Um, and my favorite movie podcast is The Watch from the Ringer Network. It's it's a pretty popular one hosted by Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins. I like their chemistry. I have very similar taste to them. They're a little bit younger than I'm on the whole, but like... They just did a podcast that's their favorite courtroom dramas, right? So they were doing both the the ones from... I like old movies, too, and they they talk about old movies. But, of course, number one is A Few Good Men, and they're doing lines, A Few Good Men. It's just a good time. They did one, which I will not listen to, called The Best Erotic Thrillers. But you can see that kind of stuff. (laughs) And when there's new movies come out, they'll talk about the big new movies are. They'll talk some industry stuff. So if you kind of like this show, this they they're not as they don't do like news stories like we do typically. But if you like the bonus episodes of this show for books, it's a lot of like that um, uh, for movies. And they'll every now and one of my favorite episodes that they do every now they haven't done many of them is where they each make the other one watch one of their favorite movies in a genre the other one doesn't like. So for mm. Amanda, she doesn't really love animated movies, and Sean doesn't like romantic comedies. So it's often trading uh, animated movies for into comedies, and they have to talk about them together. I look forward to them every week. They're smart. They're funny. It's accessible. That's The Watch. Um, check that out if you like movies and podcasts. Uh, one more thing each, maybe one more sponsor, and then a couple picks, and we'll get sure. out of here. Yeah. All right, Rebecca, what's what do you want to shout out? All right. Well, I've watched a bunch of things. Okay. Um, so I'll quickly shout out Caught Up on Better Call Saul. It continues to be great. 
I need Bob Odenkirk to win a lot of awards. I watched the Little Fires Everywhere adaptation on Hulu. And as I told you privately, I think it's even better than the book. Mm. Um, It was a slow, this is, I I was about to say it was a slow burn. And then I realized what the the show is. It took me a little while to get into the show. Um, It's also been years since I read the book and I don't have a super sharp memory of the details. But once I was just like, you know, drop into the show and enjoy it for what it is, it's really wonderful. Carrie Washington especially is fantastic. Um, They do some interesting things that um, there are meaningful differences in the characterization from the book, and I think it adds complexity. Um, interesting interviews with Celeste Ng available online about that if you're interested. Um, I also watched the new High Fidelity adaptation with Zoe Kravitz. That was fun. But my TV love of the pandemic is Billions. <laughs> You're trying to get um, me to I'm, watch it. You're trying to get me I to watch am, it. I am. I am. I will say. Billions.com like, backslash Shinsky. I don't know what this is, <laughs> but okay. It's either going to be Succession or Billions for yeah. you. And if I had to pick, Succession is the better show. Yeah. Um, but Billions is a like this good sort of good versus, it's set up as good versus evil. But of course, it's more complicated than that about, you know, Bobby Axelrod, who's a hedge fund manager versus Paul Giamatti's character, Chuck Rhodes, who is the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. And he sees himself as the good guy, even though he does bad things. And I have like, we're in the middle of middle to end of season two now. And I have like sort of dialed in why I love it so much. And it's like, first of all, Giamatti is great. He gets to be indignant and righteous a whole Mm. lot. And they just give him lines that, you know, like someone wrote this line because they knew it would be fun to see Paul Giamatti say it. But also it's dialed up just enough where like the characters are not quite caricatures of like the archetypes that they're playing, but everybody's in on the joke. So like it's heightened. It's super dramatic. Giamatti especially says ridiculous things, but the Bobby Axelrod character like gives these impassioned speeches, basically, you know, standing on the table in the center of the office to rile up the troops. It's like, it's not realistic, Mm -hmm. but it's excellent because it's fully aware of how dialed up everything is. And I'm, I'm loving that. I would watch Paul Giamatti give impassioned speeches for like five hours a day, I think. Uh, my last pick, and this is honor mostly of my son, though I've enjoyed it as well, because it, has, it is what he is living for right now. It is the center of all goodness and truth in his life, which is uh, Legend of Zelda, Breath in the Wild, and the Nintendo Switch, which some <laughs> have said, and I would not disagree with them, might be the greatest video game of all time made oh, wow. in scope and in interactivity and cleverness and immersiveness. Um, it's a great game to play to when you're stuck inside because it's this giant open world game that is the most of the fun of it is just exploring the world and find walking through this forest and collecting mushrooms and seeing what's in this and what's over this hill. And the thing that makes it kind of magic um, is the way they've constructed the game is that if you can see it, you can get there. There's not like matte painting backdrops where it's like, this is where the world ends. Like there is a constraint Mm. to the end of the world. But if there's a mountain over there that has lava shooting out of it, you can not only go to that mountain, but you can climb to the top of it. Now you might have to figure out how to get up there, but it feels real in that sense that there is not like, it's not like a playground sandbox kind of a game where you understand that, oh, well, I'm this island or whatever. It feels like you're out there in the wild and you can ride horses and you can hunt and you can fish. You could also fight monsters and beat the big bad or whatever and do that. Um, but there's puzzles. It's just, a, and there's, you can, 
part, just sitting around and cooking the ingredients you find to make little potions to heal yourself and do other stuff and collect your armor, but also talk to the villagers and get little side quests to find the horse that got lost and see where someone's dog is. It's really, really, really special and great. And it's been fun to see him kind of have his first experience of being a fan of something like in a real way like something that feels like it's his because like you know we've watched star wars and avengers and stuff like that and i think my kids like those things but they they're kind of family picks um where this is really his to to his obsession and he'll just start talking and if you're not sure what he's talking about just assume it's zelda breath of the wild and you'll be right (laughs) 99 um, percent of the time so if you're looking i've recommended to some adults who don't usually play video games because i think there's something to be said for the highest expression of an art form. And this really is oh, the yeah. highest expression of art form. You don't have to like video games. Maybe you'll never play a video game again, but maybe you go see one great opera in your life. Maybe you go see one great ballet. Maybe you play one great video game and you could do worse than to pick uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So shout, shouts, to, shouts to Zelda and, and video games uh, especially. <laughs> All right. Awesome. What do you think? Anything else gotta, you want to squeeze in at the end before? I mean, I have to. Sad not to have uh, mentioned at least. I did the fullest expression of this on our mom's, dad's, and grad's rec show yesterday. So I just have to give a shout out to my quarantine boyfriend, E.B. White. Um, Essays of E.B. White getting me through. I feel like you've got a screenplay in you like Julia and Julia. That one you know about someone who cooked all the... I feel like you've got a... There's a version of that movie which Rebecca reading E.B. White and then writing her own journal and having, you know, E.B. White inspired (laughs) revelations and like deciding to raise pigs because that seemed like something that would be fun to do because you read about an E.B. White. I mean, you know, what's funny is that the next thing I was going to recommend is the journal that I've been using. The pieces are all there. It's like the early earth. All the pieces of life are there just waiting to get heated up enough to form combinant DNA. They're all, all the pieces are there. So this was more on the tip of it's just been delighting me because um, we've talked previously about like people who are perpetually searching for the yes. perfect notebook. Yes. And I am not one of those people. For years, I've just been using black leather moleskin notebooks mm-hmm. as my journals. And that's been fine. It's simple. It gets the job done. Um, but earlier this year, a friend gifted me a personalized journal from Papier, which is P-A-P-I-E-R. Oh, my God. Okay, come on. All right. And it's, they're just beautiful. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're just beautiful hardcover journals um, with fun designs and you can personalize um, like a little grid in the front with a person's name or initials. This friend put her nickname for me Mm -hmm. on it and I have filled that journal mostly so I went to order myself a new one and I got like she had given me a sort of like pink tie-dye cover. My new journal has flamingos all over it. There are just beautiful designs. They're not any more expensive really than like if you were a moleskin journal person before and it just like it makes me happy to Mm. see these colorful journals sitting on my desk and to pick them up but um yeah eb white wrote letters to his wife in the voice of their dog and i am 100 (laughs) percent going to start sending like my jasper is going to be sending correspondence to people (laughs) so like i'm halfway there to julie and julia it's just elwin and rebecca yeah that reminded me of something I don't know why. I think it was just friends. Um, but my friends and I have a couple of times played online poker together where he's not playing for money. And it uses a video so you can see each oh, other cool. while you play. Um, the The website's pokerinplace.app. And it's, you know, it's someone's passion project. You know, it's not, this is not something brought to you by 
ESPN or a giant casino or anything like this. An independent developer that put it to place. The graphics are rudimentary, but you know what? It works. You can see each other. If you're tired of the Zoom call where you just are staring at each other, this is something where you can see each other and talk, but you're also doing something at the same time, which I think takes a little bit of the, the awkwardness of now you're in your bedroom looking at me in my bedroom and where do I put my eye hands and how we do all this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's Texas Hold'em. It's standard Texas Hold'em. I think that's the only game you can play in it. But it's it's really fun and it's free for now. It's I'm assuming it's not going to be free, but um, that's a nice if you want to switch up your uh, social distancing online gatherings and you like to play cards. It's pretty great, I have to say. So that's my bonus pick as well. Now that you said that, all right, let's get out of here. Uh, what's next on our? Do we have a next on our bonus episode docket? I've forgotten now what we're doing next. Maybe we don't. It's a surprise even to us. Um, what's coming next? Uh, Rebecca, happy quarantining. Um, Thank you. I hope your hammock remains pliable and your birds <laughs> remain identifiable. <laughs> now I just need a Nintendo Switch to play in my hammock. Yeah, that's right. That's great. That's you kind of are playing Breath of the Wild, sitting in a hammock, just looking at birds, you know, cooking stuff. You kind of are playing um, Breath of My Backyard, Legend of Rebecca. <laughs> I'm here for it. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Everybody knows there's only one place I go. To your mother's house